0: Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call 405-458-9699. Again, it's it's really easy. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can help your daily life. You can order online, safe pickup. Again, abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call four oh five-458-9699. All right, Aaron Davis is gonna join me today. We'll talk uh, a lot of NFL, some NFL draft, college football, especially the college football playoff, and just interesting scenarios that could take place. And I think some interesting questions that could come up if, once again, things go the right way and Oklahoma finds themselves in a discussion, at least, when we when we arrive December 19th at, at you know how this thing is ultimately going to play out. So uh, a lot of fun today. Again, Aaron is going to join me, and, and we're going to basically throw out some... Uh, some thanksgiving stuff as well some uh some rules to live by if you will as far as the thanksgiving meal and also i'm going to give you a little advice on maybe how to throw your family a change up as far as transitioning from thanksgiving to christmas so all of that coming up on the colby daniels podcast my weekly wednesday guest is aaron davis aaron it is thanksgiving eve happy thanksgiving how are you my friend
1: doing good i'm currently going through a 48 hour fast because i fully intend to double my body weight body weight over the next uh three or four days so i'm gonna be coming in at a cool 315 on monday oh Pretty confident nice about it.
0: nice trying to um, hit the heavyweight okay. right
1: yeah that was a lie 315 is definitely way less than double my body weight but <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, it's always interesting to me going into Thanksgiving. Some people fast before Thanksgiving and other people like try and stretch their stomach for a couple days and eat everything in sight for a couple days so that they can, you know, have the ability to their body's not going to react in a bad way, I guess, when they just pig out on Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, and I'm not much of a actually I I am. I'm a grazer on Thanksgiving. I've noticed that like I'm definitely going to have a huge plate but i'm also gonna just pick it stuff for like from like 10 a.m until 7 p.m i'm probably just gonna pick it stuff until i have you know at 7 p.m i'll have a second you know plate right but i feel like grazing allows my stomach to stretch throughout the day i'm not just piling the the most of it all at once I'm gonna I'm gonna eat a little grass. I'm gonna eat a little deviled eggs here and there. I'm gonna let it uh, I'm gonna let it stretch through slowly throughout the day or quickly I guess depends how you look at it.
0: The grazing strategy is great if like for example I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan And so the grazing strategy is great in a year where I'm super excited about the Cowboys game And I don't want to at like two o'clock just eat 18 pounds of food and then be in the coma for the next four hours while Dallas plays and then inevitably you fall asleep at like halftime and you miss most of the second half so grazing is the strategy in that situation but with the Dallas Cowboys stinking as bad as they do I'm not worried if I get the the meat sweats and pass out in the middle of the Cowboys Washington game on Thursday afternoon so
1: you're not not worried about it they can win that game and be in first place this is a first potential first-place matchup going on right now between these three and seven well, teams. Well,
0: you know what? Now I am worried about it. Now I have to stay awake and root for the for Washington.
1: <laughs> yeah. What a mess. Yeah, that's uh, brutal.
0: Those clowns can't even tank the right way.
1: The Cowboys have a minus 83-point differential right now, and with a win tomorrow, we'll be in first place in the division.
0: And get a home game in the playoffs. And get a home game. And completely take themselves out of any possibility of getting a top 10 pick. Stupid. Oh, it's Five
1: so wins, 22nd pick in the draft. Right,
0: right. That's, yeah. Whoever wins that division is in that situation. What a disaster. Nobody wants that. That's just the worst case scenario. Yeah. Go get thumped in the postseason and then don't even get a high enough draft pick. What? I mean, all the first round picks are good picks. I mean, the expectation is all of those guys are going to be starters. But, you know, I think in most years there's a big difference between top five, top ten, and bottom of the first round. So. Oh,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Ugh. Well, and, and uh, the other thing is you just, you never know, like, what's going to be available, who's going to be available, and you just want to give yourself the best chance to make a pick that ends up being a guy that significantly helps you. And look, in in a normal year, I've been asked this multiple times over the last few weeks. Am I rooting for the Dallas Cowboys? And especially on Sunday, when uh, things were as close as they were, my answer is no. In a normal year, I would say yes. In a normal year, I would say yeah. I I don't mind winning the division at six and ten or whatever, and you know just give yourself that chance to make a run in the playoffs. But you're not getting Dak Prescott back. You're not getting Tyron Smith back. You're not getting Lyle Collins back. Like, there are some pretty pivotal players for this team that are out for the year. They're not returning. So, knowing that this team has zero chance of being fully healthy by the time the playoffs roll around, what's the point? Like, they're they're as good today as they're capable of being. So, there's not even this, like, underlying hope of maybe they hit their stride by the time the, the postseason rolls around. So, again, like, in a normal year, I would still, even on on the – one in a hundred type chance that they make a postseason run i would take that but not this year when you're missing as many key players as they're missing
1: yeah i mean they're definitely not going to do anything in the playoffs Uh, i mean
0: i I, I can't even make a best case
1: scenario for a matchup in like the first round that they might sneak past a team maybe if the bears sneak into the playoffs or something they could beat the bears in one game maybe maybe i I don't think the bears the bears aren't going to make the playoffs they're terrible they don't have a quarterback. They Their offense is putridly bad. But at, at the same time, though, unless there's a guy in the top five that you absolutely love that you're like desperately like, we need to get into the top five. I mean, it just doesn't really make a difference to me, I guess. Like, you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. Either you make the playoffs and get embarrassed with five wins or you know you get the eighth pick. Now, if you get a top five pick and you love one of those dudes,
0: then, you know, go yeah. up there and
1: snag one of those dudes. But
0: I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, just, I don't see them collecting division championship banners at the top of AT&T Stadium. So, <laughs> right <laughs> there,
1: there might be a situation where the NFC East, other than the winner picks like three, four, five, six. Yeah. Or three, four, five, whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, look, they, they, division winner they played the, the Rams week one, right? And they got, mm. and that was when they were fully healthy. I mean, for the most part, I think Lyle Collins was out that, that opening week. But for the most part, they had all of their pieces and the Rams just trucked them. They've lost to the Cardinals, who are another team that's in the wild card chase. I think the Buccaneers and the Saints and the Seahawks and the Packers would just completely torch them. Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson throwing passes on this defense? Well, look, I
1: I can't imagine. It wouldn't be good. They have been a little bit better on defense. Leighton Vander Esch coming back, I think has made a made a difference. They still look terrible. I wouldn't say terrible. They looked not great against the Vikings, but they looked better like they weren't giving up 45 points and just letting them score every time. Yeah. But
0: they prevented yeah, Dalvin Cook for running for two hundred yards, which is what I was expecting. So I guess from that standpoint, right. it was better than expected.
1: And over the last month, they're kind of the only ones that have done that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I'm not happy. Andy
1: Dalton. I'm not. At least happy we get, Andy Dalton. Not not least we get Andy Dalton versus Alex Smith on
0: Thanksgiving. Who? What? Uh, a what heroes. a Thanksgiving gift! And uh, your Texans are the opening kickoff, right? Is it Texans Lions? Yeah. First game of the day. Texans Lions. Uh I'm
1: pretty excited about it. Uh that's probably about as even of a matchup the Texans are gonna get uh this year. Although I look, Deshaun Watson has been amazing this year. It is a shame that they're gonna waste this season and probably the next if by some miracle they convince him to finish out his contract that he just signed, they're gonna waste almost more than almost half his career if not ha- more playing on these sh- shitty teams where they just can't figure it out and yep. like they're in such a hole right now it's going to take them just two years to recover from what bill o'brien as a general manager did to them like, yeah i mean just...
0: you heard the deandre hopkins comment what was it two weeks ago or a week ago after the hill mary pass where patrick mahomes um like complimented him on Twitter, and then Hopkins came back and said, "You cost me a ring." Like that's how cl- yeah. that's how close the Texans were. I legitimately they were. think they were in that position. They could have been the Super Bowl champion that year. And if
1: if they beat the Chiefs, they play the Titans. Who they play the Titans all the time. Yeah, they they matched up really well with the Titans. And then you go into the Super Bowl and you play you play the Forty ers i i don't know the 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 49ers matchup would have been tough last year but i fully think they could have beaten the titans in the afc championship game for sure for
0: sure Yeah,
1: and then he's good though man he is he is phenomenal he is an amazing quarterback and it's frustrating to go my entire life watching the texans be like especially this decade or the past decade the 2010s like be good teams but just not have that difference making quarterback yeah and then Alex is completely flipped where they have the difference making quarterback and everything around him is trash
0: yeah gave up the best receiver in the NFL for David Johnson
1: who doesn't even he's hurt he has missed last two games and when he was playing he wasn't he's was, he's was just an average running back behind a bad offensive line which yeah yeah stupid he had one good year right Yes, and then that was f- four years ago, too. We, he's living off a great year four years ago as a running back.
0: What a terrible trade. Like, the fact that there wasn't somebody within that organization that didn't walk down to Bill O'Brien's office when they even heard the rumor of it and just said no. Like, I know that we, we all blame Bill O'Brien for that, but that's, a, that's an entire organization full of people that allowed that to happen.
1: Yeah. It's it's embarrassing. and like I think I probably it would have been easier to swallow if he would have gotten a first round pick. But he couldn't even get a first round pick for the he's definitely a top three receiver in the NFL. He might be the best receiver in the, the NFL. Best. There's easy arguments. Yeah. yeah. Easy arguments make for him being the best. And he's 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 not old. He's only like twenty seven. Yeah. And you can't even get a first round pick for him. Yeah. A year after you gave up two first round picks for Laramie Tunsil you don't get a first round pick back for DeAndre Hopkins
0: who would you argue to be ranked ahead of him in a in a receiver big board man uh
1: if i had to put somebody there because i could easily argue that deandre's one um, man
0: because for the last several years i felt like it's been between deandre hopkins and julio jones but I kind of feel like we finally arrived at this point where Julio Jones is on the decline and DeAndre yeah. Hopkins is the guy.
1: Julio just can't stay on the field enough for me to say he's the best. Yeah. You
0: know, honestly,
1: uh, if there's a guy that I'm going to make an argument for, it's probably Tyreek Hill. Like, he's not... Yeah. He's not as physical as a guy like DeAndre Hopkins to be because he's just a little, he's just... You know, the size is a difference, but i think he's still a great route runner he's got that obviously that difference making speed and like i mean he'll go up and get balls like i think that Tyreek Hill is vastly underrated as great as he is it kind of feels like he just falls into that kansas city system but i think he could go anywhere and be an elite receiver
0: yeah i wouldn't rank him ahead of deandre hopkins but i I get your point for sure he's he's one of the elite guys but deandre hopkins is just i mean the, the hail murray catch like
1: oh it's ridiculous it's Just ridiculous
0: yeah. nobody does that over three I dudes you know what like devontae
1: i changed my mind devontae adams is the best receiver in the nfl
0: oh yeah see i would put him second i'd put him number two
1: yeah i'd probably flip him i'd have adams one
0: hopkins two I know Michael Thomas has basically done nothing this year, but you know a year ago, he would probably be in that conversation. I, I still think he's a top-five sure. guy. It's just been kind of a dumpster fire as far as him and the relationship with the organization and all the injuries, and this year has just kind of been flushed down the toilet. And I'm a, I'm a Michael Thomas fantasy football owner, so if anybody under, understands Ooh. the frustrations of Michael Thomas' season, it's me. But, yeah, I think, I mean, Michael Thomas' skill set, it's not like he just stopped being a good player. There are a lot of circumstances as to why his season hasn't been good, but he's in that mix as well.
1: Better better play. The DeAndre Hopkins-Hell Murray catch or the C.D. Lamb touchdown catch from Sunday?
0: I, I actually talked about this on, uh, on Monday's podcast. As far as the difficulty of the catch, I, I think it's C.D. Lamb's catch. But when you consider what was on the line and what that catch meant, I mean... It won the game, or or extended the game. Did it win the game? Yeah, it won the game. It won the game. It was at
1: the end of the. It was at the buzzer. Yeah,
0: yeah. it won the game for the Cardinals.
1: Yeah. So. Against a uh, against that seven and two Bills team.
0: Yeah. The Ceedee Lamb catch, though. I mean, I, I I basically compared it to the Odell Beckham catch, where like Odell Beckham was a good player, but that catch that he made against the Cowboys, the one handed like spin around catch like that was what put him on the map as far as becoming an NFL superstar and if that if that CeeDee Lamb catch had happened on a Sunday night football game or a Monday night football game any sort of nationally televised primetime matchup if that takes place in that scenario that catch is being shown all over all of the networks the same way that the Odell Beckham catch was
1: like just even leading up to the point where he the ball touches his hands the adjustment that he made on that ball and the fact that he never lost it was amazing like yeah. I, he he must have done a full like almost close 360 degree spin to adjust for that ball yeah. it was ridiculous and the uh the rookie wide receiver class which going into the draft was I mean everybody was taught it was stacked you could tell by going to the draft they're all like almost all those dudes that were highly touted already like as rookies like huge difference makers
0: yeah i mean cd lamb is great justin jefferson in minnesota has been terrific uh jerry judy henry ruggs uh iuk from uh san francisco
1: is, yeah he's been he's good at arizona State, yeah. really good uh t higgins has been good in cincinnati oh, yeah,
0: yeah t higgins has been fantastic
1: chase claypool in pittsburgh like
0: he's got one like what of the 10, hardest 10 things. touchdowns
1: yeah 10 touchdowns in 10 games as a rookie and that's a stacked wide receiver group. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the hardest things in my opinion to do, like one of the hardest positions to transition from college to the NFL is wide receiver. One because it's just hard to go in there and get targets when you're, you know, cuz there's just more competition. And the difference from going to, you know, even a d1 you know cornerback to an nfl cornerbacks night and day even with the right. cornerbacks not being as good you know or the rules not being in their favor in the nfl or whatever but yeah these rookie right these rookie receivers are legitimately they're legitimately good henry ruggs yeah i don't know if you said henry ruggs
0: yeah henry ruggs, he, he hasn't yeah. been
1: quite as flash flashy as the other dudes but he's still been good too yeah it's a lot of really good receivers in that rookie class
0: yeah absolutely loaded and it just shows you i mean where the game is the game. Uh, there's so much focus at every level of the game in in throwing the football that, I mean, you're getting these guys that are coming into the NFL now that I mean look as good as as veterans at that position. Yeah,
1: you think Tyler Wallace is a first round pick?
0: I don't think he will be a first round pick. No. Do I think he's a first round talent? Yes, but um, I, I think that when you when NFL GMs look at him and compare him to the other guys that are going to be available. I think it's going to be very easy for those GMs to fall in love with size slash speed slash athleticism from some other guys that are available. And I think Tylen Wallace is either late second or maybe even early third. And I, I have a friend in Kansas City uh, that that covers the Chiefs, and he, he thinks that Tylen Wallace not only will be available toward the end of the second round but that the chiefs like are scouting him to potentially be a second round pick for them
1: i swear to god i swear to god inside the walls goes to the chiefs right and has you know rookie year 50 catches and like 800 yards and 10 touchdowns and just i mean he would probably fill that sammy watkins role pretty well yeah i think they just re-signed him but i don't i mean I don't anticipate Sammy Watkins being around Kansas City much longer. So, yeah, Tyler Wallace would be a great guy to put in that role. Yeah.
0: Well, look at that class. God, Jamar Chase isn't even playing college football this year. And mm-hmm. he's he's easily the number one guy uh, going into the draft. Jalen Waddell got hurt out of Alabama, but he's probably on the short list for the next best available, I think, on NFL draft boards. Devonte Smith, the other Alabama receiver, is probably a first-round pick. Uh, Terrence Marshall, another LSU receiver, is another potential first-round pick. I don't know if you've seen Rondell Moore from Purdue, but he's potentially yeah, he's a first-round pick. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota is also just unbelievable, and he's a potential first-round pick. So, I mean, that's five guys right there that— Again, I'm not saying they're better, but I could absolutely see all of those guys getting drafted ahead of Tylen Wallace again, because part of this is a, a beauty pageant. You know, like we talk about this every year and every year I get in arguments with people because they're like, there's no way that guy would go over that guy. This guy's the better player. That's not what the NFL draft is about. They're not just saying, I think you're the better player, so I'm going to go get you. It's, it's about fit. It's about potential. And, again, when you go through this process, a lot of these guys are good football players. So I think scouts and front offices have a tendency to just fall in love with, you know, the height, athleticism, speed type of of guys. And that generally becomes a separator between guys that are really good football players. Like, I'm still blown away that the NFL, like, outsmarted themselves with DK Metcalf. Like, it's almost like they always do this whole, like, if you're big and fast, we're going to take you way above where you should. And it almost went the opposite way with D- DK Metcalf where he was so big and so fast that the NFL was just like, okay, this is too good to be true. Like, w- there are holes in his game. We we just, we can't do it. And and he fell further than he should have and now he's a terrific player. But um, yeah, I just, I i I think that that's the way Tyler Wallace is going to be viewed. I think he probably goes in the second or third round. I would guess second if, yeah. if I had to
1: bet. I think with... What- I think with DK, yeah, just teams – no team wanted to be the new Oakland Raiders. It just dropped the big, fast guy that turned out to be a complete bust. Yeah. But, of course, you know, he goes to a great organization that just kind of, you know, keeps hitting on these dudes on offense. And, yeah, he's – that dude is a freak. I'm still blown away that he chased down Buda Baker on that interception. That that was like – that has to be the – if there's a top ten place in the NFL this year – it's between that and the CD Lamb catch so far.
0: Yeah, it's on the list. That play is on the list without a doubt, and the Hopkins catch.
1: Just freak out listen. yeah Yeah. Uh, Another uh, Ty Freifogel, the kid at Indiana. He do anything for you? Uh, I I haven't seen
0: enough, honestly.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I I watched a little bit against Ohio State, but yeah, I've heard people talking about him and his numbers look good, but yeah, M- Michael my
0: Michael Phoenix. <laughs> Michael Penix. Yeah. Is so that how you say it? I, have a, I, I, I think hear it's actually so. pronounced Penix.
1: Penix? Okay, that's what I figure, but, but it's funnier if I say Penix.
0: It's way more – yeah, it's way funnier if you say Penix. And then I, I don't know if you remember, but that – was it the game against Michigan where he – I think it went to overtime, and he was running to the corner, and he extended the ball and got just the tip of the ball past the, <laughs> the pylon. And, like, I'm just sitting there with, like, the whole, like, Penix – just the tip jokes like I had a million of them and I could have just like flooded my Twitter timeline with Penix just the tip jokes but I only did one and then I just sat back and and restrained myself from being eight
1: you gotta love when Penix extends and just gets the tip in
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly see you get my point it's too easy it's too like, easy, you, it's too you easy. Just, yeah you can't like pass it up so I like I'm proud of myself for only doing one of those and then just letting it letting that one marinate because I was I was really uh, I had like 10 of them ready to go like I was ready to just start firing off tweet after tweet after tweet about Phoenix and just the tip and extending and all that good stuff so yeah um he's a good quarterback though yeah I I feel like there's another rookie receiver that I was going to bring up a second ago and now I'm kind of blanking on on who that might have been maybe I'm crazy I'm sure there's got to be one out there yeah I don't know I feel like there was somebody a second ago though that I was about to bring up and let's see let me pull up the NFL draft real quick wide receivers in last year's draft Ruggs, Judy, Lamb Jalen Rager's been hurt Yeah, I mean, the next best is probably LaVisca Chenault. He's
1: or... been nice in flashes. He's, yeah. Sucks the quarterback situation. It's kind of a disaster.
0: Tyler Johnson's been a surprise. Yeah, okay, never mind. Nobody else. But yeah. That... Great class, though. Great, great class. Yeah. What is... Uh... Speaking of the draft, what is Chuba Hubbard stock doing right now? Um, so, mean it's obviously, it, it's
1: not great. I, I think that in the long term, though, it might be beneficial that he just hasn't gotten the workflow that he, you know, we anticipated him having. Like, yeah. the fact that he only has 133 carries right now, long term, probably benefits him because I think this is a reason that a lot of those Wisconsin guys go in the NFL and just can't do anything is because they carry the ball so much at Wisconsin that they're coming in to the NFL, like just completely beat down already. Like, I mean, you think about Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor had to have had well north of a thousand carries in his Wisconsin career. Right. So he's coming into the NFL with four or five times more carries than some dudes that you know i think and like james robinson and jacksonville i think a, a reason that you know he's probably having a little bit of success as far as like rookie running backs goes is he's just he, he didn't have that wear and tear as much in college aj dylan is another guy that came into call uh, the nfl this year out of boston college i don't know you know what his shelf life is like because he carried the ball so much at boston workhorse. college yeah so uh nfl stock i i think his draft stocks dropping as far as the like i said the where he's gonna go But I think the potential for his long-term NFL success is probably a little bit higher thanks to him not being the workhorse guy this year. But, I mean, it's definitely disappointing. I mean, the fact that he's only got 600 yards on 133 carries, which the average is so good. He's still averaging 4.7 yards a carry, but it's just not what we come to expect from Chupa, who his first two years had six yards a carry.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at a PFF draft big board. And a receiver by the way that they have as a top a first round talent at number 23 overall, Amon Ra, Saint Brown from USC. So there's another receiver by the way that they have ahead of Tylen Wallace who they have Tylen Wallace as the as the number 58 prospect in this draft. So again, that mm-hmm. would that would land in the second round. Uh, but as far as running backs, they have Travis Etienne Ranked number twenty-six on their big board, as the first running back available, and unless I miss somebody, I'm I'm double checking. Oh, here's another receiver, uh, Chris Olav, out of Ohio State, ahead of Tylen Wallace. So that's that's seven now that they have ahead of Tylen Wallace, just at the receiver position. Um. Oh, here's another receiver, Sage Surratt, out of Wake Forest. So now they have Tylen Wallace as the number and Tylen Wallace at fifty nine. So they have Tylen Wallace as the number nine receiver in this class.
1: Perfect. Right, right in time for Kansas City yep. to take him at the end of the second round.
0: They have Chuba Hubbard as the number sixty three prospect in the draft class, but the second overall running back, just ahead of Najee Harris. And interesting. Well, they haven't even updated this because they have Journey Brown at number seventy four, the Penn State kid that's. Didn't he? Didn't they just like a week or two ago say that uh, his career's over for some sort of medical reason?
1: I must have missed it. I, I'm surprised that they got Chuba ahead of uh, Najee Harris. Yeah. So I think Najee Harris is a really damn good running back.
0: Yeah, and unlike a lot of Alabama running backs, like he kind of had to wait his turn before he became the, you know, the guy, right? Yeah, I and mean, even this and- year, like it's not like he's getting 25 carries a game.
1: No, he's all I mean he's he's putting up numbers on limited carries and look, yeah, I mean he plays for Alabama, so obviously that helps. Yeah. But yeah, he's played uh, he's in his fourth year of starting and he's got about forty five carries less than Chuba, who has played I mean, is he Basically Chuba's a obviously a, a, a junior, yeah, yeah, a year and a half more. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Pretty crazy. But, again, you know, running backs are, are not valued in the NFL draft anyway. Um, right. I, Definitely I, don't take a running back in the first round. No. No. Maybe Etienne goes this year, but that would probably be the only guy. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. There was talk that Hubbard could potentially be – I don't think anybody thought he was going to be the first running back to go off the board last year, but one of, you know, the next few guys, and I I think if you're considering what that was last year, it's a second-round pick, and so this year, again, as it stands, based on that big board, that's not the end-all, be-all by any means. They have him at 63, so that would land him right toward the, like, end of the second round, early third. But if he's the next best running back available, you just never know when somebody's going to maybe pull that trigger, so. Yeah, I am. It, it
1: was interesting to me that uh, ETN and Truba decided not to uh, enter the draft, though, because I didn't feel like the running back class last year was that great. I mean, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was, I mean, easily the top back, but after that, like DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, who, like we said, is came in with a thousand plus carries. Cam Akers.
0: I like J.K. J.K. Dobbins, Dobbins nice, a lot. But, yeah, going into the draft last year, Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I th- I thought. All, I mean, again, Jonathan Taylor. There's the worry, like all the Wisconsin running backs. But I mean, in terms of just being able to come in and help you, like I thought he was a guy that, if you're a good team and you need a running back, you could you could bring him in, and and maybe you only get three or four years from him. But I thought he was the most ready of that entire group. And then the the Clyde Edwards-Alaire thing was interesting because. I liked him a lot, but I thought it was really important to... I mean, he had to get the right fit. And when Kansas City drafted him, I mean, that was... That was literally... You couldn't have picked a better place for him to go play. Based on his skill set and what the offense does, so...
1: And he's... uh, Even after they signed Bell, he's still... He's still the dude, so... Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting shift though, because it kind of feels like, like you said, it's just football. And you look at the wide receiver class this year; it seems to be pretty damn good again. Yeah, and it just seems like now, you draft a receiver early, you're probably going to get a pretty damn good guy that's going to impact early. And if you get a running back, it's it's a complete coin toss.
0: Yeah, I said this um, about it about a year ago, maybe two years ago, but I think that we are on track to potentially seeing the receiver position become the running back position in the NFL draft in, like, five years. Like, because teams all the way down to the high school level are throwing the ball so much, there are just so many more receivers available, so many more quality receivers at a young age that enter college ready to play and then from college enter the NFL ready to play as as far as just being – Developed as route runners and catching the football and I just I I think that we're going to reach this point where I mean certainly the guys like CeeDee Lamb are probably going to be exceptions the guys like a Jamar Chase this year are going to be the exceptions but I think we're going to get to the point in a few years where GMs say why would I take a receiver in the first round when like we just made the point Tylan Wallace is probably going to be, be available at some point in the second round maybe the end of the second round like Why would I use my first-round pick on a receiver when there's still a guy like that that's the number that a lot of people say is the number nine receiver in this class?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're going to see... Wide receivers move up into the top ten if they're like... Just clearly, you can just tell that they're going to be immediate starting impact players like CeeDee Lamb. I think Jerry Judy's probably in that same situation. But after that, yeah, I mean, why not wait and take a. Chase Claypool went in the second round this year. Uh, KJ Hamler went in the second round, and he's he isn't as flashy. I mean, he's on the same team as Jerry Judy, so he's kind of being overshadowed, but he's still he's still productive as a rookie in that Denver he's, offense. I, I think it's he's really good. If he
0: were in a different offense, I think he would be tearing it up. I yeah. loved him coming out of Penn State.
1: T Higgins was the first pick in the second round. He's yeah. been. Really good. Uh Van Jefferson and LA, they don't pass the ball much this this year, but he's still been solid. Denzel Mims went in the second round. He's done some things. But yeah, Devin Duvernay went in the third round. Like there's a lot of receivers that went in the middle of the draft this last year that are doing things for teams. Gabriel Davis in Buffalo out of Central Florida. Like he's he's making some plays. Yep. Like there's just impact guys. You can get an impact receiver. Like yeah, I think you're right. I think they're probably gonna start sliding down i think that there's probably gonna be a shift to a lot of teams just putting more emphasis on drafting defense in the first round
0: drafting defense drafting offensive linemen um like you know game changing tight ends i i think are a position where if that guy's available like a kyle pitts in this draft you could see that you could see teams going and getting in guys like that in the top 10 because there's just not a lot of those guys like the draft on top of being a you know, a situation where you're evaluating talent and trying to predict what the upside is, a lot of it is also value, right? Like, if you look at a guy, even though you may say, like, I think this receiver is better than this receiver, but I need a receiver and an offensive lineman. If you feel like you could still get the number two receiver that you like in the second round, but the drop from offensive lineman one to offensive lineman two is drastic, then from a value standpoint, you're going to go get the offensive lineman and you're going to settle for the second receiver on your board instead of taking the guy that you really like as the first receiver and then completely missing out on the other position that you may need. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one reason why people just say take the best available player, but you have to be aware in today's NFL of, of what your needs are. And, you know, again, I think when you, when you look at where the college game is and where the NFL game is and the fact that they're so close, closer than they've ever been, you just don't have to have nearly as long as an adjustment period for guys to like make that transition to the NFL. So it's more reasonable to think that you can plug and play guys in in the twenty twenty NFL in like you know, past the first round, second round, third round. You can find guys that are more NFL ready to play today than ever before. And and like we're talking about the receiver position. Going back to twenty nineteen, Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Carey or Nikhil Harry were the only two first round picks at receiver. But Debo Samuel was a second round pick. A.J. Brown in, in Tennessee was a second round pick. McCole Hardman was a second round pick. Uh, Paris Campbell at the Colts was a second round pick. D.K. Metcalf was a second round pick. Deontay Johnson with the Steelers was a third round pick. Terry McLaurin with the with Washington was a third round pick. Like, there's just a ton of these dudes. How much
1: are Baltimore? Who was the other first round pick you said? Uh, Nikhil Harry. It was... Um how much are New England and Baltimore beating themselves up with the AJ Brown and DK Metcalf (laughs) like went in the second round yeah it's crazy
0: yeah I well look I think Harry's skill set coming out of Arizona State was certainly much greater than where than anything AJ Brown or DK Metcalf showed uh you know part of the problem is he was hurt last year the entire season and then this year his quarterback is Cam Newton so I don't know. I don't know how good he is, but he's he's not done anything to this point. You know, the, the same thing with Hollywood Brown to a degree. Like he was really good a year ago, and Baltimore's offense has been pretty blah most of the season.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think Hollywood's got a little bit of. A, I think there's a little mental thing going on with him right now. Um, you know, he said a few weeks ago about getting the soldiers the ball. And then since then, I've, I've watched him drop a good handful of passes yeah. that he should have caught. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's he's a bust or he's bad or anything. He's just – he's really struggling right now. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, hopefully he turns it around. But, yeah, yeah there's just – it's – yeah, it's a complete – There's you could get a good receiver anywhere in the draft right now, like you said, because they're, they're essentially have eight years of football experience getting ready to go in and play – receiver at the NFL right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's just yeah. I, I'm uh I think that's gonna happen. I think we're just gonna continue as as we get further down the line, we're gonna continue to see receivers, you know, especially outside of the guys that are viewed as like the Julio Jones type guys or you know the CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy type guys. I mean they're always gonna be those those special guys. I mean we still see it at running back occasionally right like Zeke Elliott was a top five pick uh, guys like Leonard Fournette, you know, we we still see running backs in the first round when teams evaluate them as being, you know, extra special, but it's a position overall that's been devalued. Same thing with the receiver position. I think it's – you're still going to get those guys that teams think are really special taken high, but for the most part, I think the position overall is going to become what the running back position has has become, and it's not a pressing need in the first round. So, like, when when teams need a receiver – I don't think you just automatically pencil them in for a receiver in the first round because they can still get quality guys guys that we've seen over the last several seasons in the second and third round be as good as as the first round picks
1: yeah i think that it's tough to to invest heavily in a running back early in you know early in the first round because it's it's a position that not only do you need that running back to be good if the offensive line is terrible and can't you know, push the defense back and give him some room. I mean, he's going to struggle. I think like, Zeke Zeke has not been good this year. He he had a good game against Minnesota, but like, I think part of that is just the offensive line has just struggled so much. And I think that in yeah. the shelf life of a running back is so short. Like, if I'm an if I'm an NFL GM and owner and and I'm working in that front office I'm thinking, man, not only do I have to worry about our offensive line run blocking well, I might have this guy for five years before he drops off a cliff that's tough but at the receiver position you know I mean you can it's just him as long as the quarterback can throw him the ball accurately it's on the receiver to make the play
0: yeah but I mean like I I mentioned to kill Harry like I I I don't know that he's a bust he was hurt the entire first year and then again like nobody is going to have a bunch of success with with Cam Newton as your quarterback it's just not going to happen
1: especially when they run the ball like 900 times a game
0: but, I mean, uh, look at what DJ Moore in Carolina is doing, for example. Yeah, he's like a completely really different guy with, uh, you know, at least some semblance of an NFL quarterback that can throw the ball accurately.
1: Yeah, I think Joe Brady helps, too. I think having a yeah. really good offensive coordinator and yeah. head coach helps. But Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's uh, he's been great. Robbie Anderson. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's a bigger... Uh, example of what putting a guy in a good system with a good quarterback can do. Yeah, because he sure. was uh, average in in New York.
0: Yeah. Speaking of uh, offensive coordinator, head coach, how about Lincoln Riley? I mean, for as as much as we talked about Bedlam for two weeks leading up to that game and the matchups and all of that, like I just walked away from the beginning of that game thinking, "Holy cow, Lincoln Riley drew those first couple drives up to perfection."
1: And the opposite coach uh, didn't show up.
0: <laughs> he didn't like their game plan. So, Aaron. that's what he said.
1: Well, I mean, come on, Colby. he had too much time. Two weeks he, it was just too much time to think about it. He started second guessing everything. out Yeah, and th- look, I picked a uh, double digit victory for OU for Bedlam, but I did not expect it to be 41 to 13. I thought Oklahoma State would at least get on the in the 20s. Uh, in this game and just putrid, putrid performance from Oklahoma State. Um, You you focused on Lincoln Riley in the positives. I was, I I guess I wasn't shocked either way. It's exactly what I expected. I expected Lincoln Riley to be great and have a great game plan and OU to show up and then Mike Gundy to show up with a mediocre game plan and completely fumble the entire game. The Spencer Sanders thing was mind-boggling to me that I don't know first off he was Ronnie Perkins was amazing in this game
0: oh best player on the field right
1: yeah just immediate it is crazy like i i think it's pretty easy to assume that Oklahoma would be 8-0 right now if they had Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins in the Kansas State and Iowa State game but i agree yeah i don't know i mean The Spencer Sanders thing, like where he's 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 hurt and he can't come back in, but then he just miraculously can come back in and later in the game. Bizarre. I I don't know, man.
0: That is really bizarre because look, he gets hurt and obviously Illingworth comes in and with the aid of, of Buki, scores that touchdown and Oklahoma State gets on the board and it kind of gave them a little bit of life. Now, if I'm if I'm being honest, I, I didn't think that they ever... Once it was 21-0, to zero, it was game over for me. Like, I never thought one time the rest of the way that Oklahoma State had a chance to climb back into the game. Even after that touchdown, I was like, nope. They just can't score enough. They, they're not good enough offensively to, to, to score that many points. Even, like, I, I had a hard time even imagining them, Aaron, getting in the 20s. Like, my biggest struggle in picking a score for that game was how many points I wanted to give Oklahoma State in the game because I thought they were going to struggle to get to 20 because again like everybody that watches football has talked about this for two weeks the Oklahoma State offensive line was so bad for for a month they weren't going to be drastically better I mean even if they were somewhat better that wasn't going to be good enough to prevent the strength of the Oklahoma defense which is the defensive line from dominating the line of scrimmage like I I thought maybe the defense could give them a short field or two. Maybe the defense even scores a touchdown for that matter. You know, maybe it's a a pick six or something. I just, I thought maybe they would get some help. And so my final score, I think I had them two touchdowns, three field goals, scoring 23 points. But like, I, I seriously debated whether or not I wanted to even give them 20 points in this game or not. So, like I said, once it got to 21-0, to like, it was game over. They had zero chance. So, with the quarterback thing, like, when it was 21-0, they had to make the change. I thought, even if, even if Spencer Sanders wasn't hurt, like, the other guy just throws the football better. And if you have any chance of climbing back into the game, you're going to have to throw the football. So, they bring Illingworth in. He gets a little help. He throws the touchdown pass. And I thought it was the right call to stay with him, even if, you know, we didn't know the situation with Sanders, but even if Sanders were available, I think it was the right call at that time to stay with Illingworth because he gives you that passing dimension. But Aaron, it only took like three or four drives to clearly see that that, that he was not prepared for that moment. He's not equipped to deal with that kind of pressure from the defensive line. And if Spencer Sanders were available to me after about four or five, three, four, five five drives, I don't know how many you want to say, like It seemed to me like if he were available, you, you would have put him back in at that point after it was pretty clear that Illingworth wasn't going to find his footing and you probably needed a guy that that was a little bit more mobile, even if you're sacrificing, again, the passing ability. But But Illingworth was throwing the ball all over the place. He wasn't accurate whatsoever. So it was kind of irrelevant. But look, I'll even say this. I don't think it matters if it was Spencer Sanders, if it was... Illingworth, if you brought Mason Rudolph back, like nobody was having success in that offense with that offensive line under siege the way that they were with the Oklahoma defensive front. Yeah, uh, Gundy did one thing good, right? And
1: I, I mentioned this on the pod last week. I, they got they threw the ball to Tyler Wallace a good amount. He had ten targets, only able to get four catches. And yeah. so I'm not going to put that all in Tyler Wallace. Like they at least tried, but. I, that's about the only thing that I think they they did right uh with Oklahoma State. That and like what what kind of message does it send to the team? The fact that they were five of one in this game, well within you know the fight to get to the Big Twelve championship game, and Gandhi punts on OU side of the field. I mean I know that yeah. they weren't well they weren't going to win the game, no. but. I mean, why you can't just you? You got to at least try. You got to, as a, I feel like as a coach, you have to continue fighting and just play like you can win the game. Go down swinging, not right? Send the Yeah, not send the message to your team that well. We're just going to throw the towel in. We suck. Yeah, we can't get two yards or three yards yep. or whatever it was on that fourth down.
0: Well, I think it was. I think it was it, fourth and eight, if I remember correctly.
1: Little on little, like the long, forty-one or the try.
0: forty-two. Which again, if you if you had asked me in the moment. And if if I had to put money on whether Oklahoma State was going to get the first down or the Sooners were going to get a stop, without hesitation, I would bet on the Sooners to get a stop there. So, like, there are people that are like, well, you weren't going to get it anyway, so what's the point? Well, it's a mentality standpoint that that people are upset about this. It's why, going into this game, Oklahoma State fans, like, some of them are just resigned to the fact they're not going to win because of that mentality exactly. If you're ever in a position where you need your head coach to roll the dice a little bit and put a little faith in, in his team, uh, you know, it, that, that just kind of feels like where there's uh, some sort of, of weird thing going on with Mike Gundy. And again, I, I would have expected Oklahoma to get the stop, but you're talking about a point in the game where you're down, you may not even have enough possessions left in the game. Like, it, even if even if realistically you could expect to score every time you had the football the rest of the way, like you might not even have enough possessions left to complete that if you give the ball away so like it just made zero sense
1: here's here's a another difference in the vast list of differences between Mike Gundy and Lincoln Riley if that was OU in that situation but they were up by 20 it was fourth and eight on Oklahoma State's 40 something 42 or whatever you think Lincoln, Lincoln Riley probably would have went for it but coin flip that he goes for it in that situation
0: I don't think it's a coin flip I think he absolutely goes for it
1: there you go. One guy is always aggressive. Yeah, I don't even and think it's close. Yeah. as a result, wins a lot more games. And the other guy is always timid. And as a result, loses a lot more games. Well, i just think in 2020 football, there's too many statistics and metrics and analytics to back up being aggressive as a coach. That it's, it's mind-boggling that dudes just aren't more aggressive.
0: Yeah. Well, just for an example, the final touchdown of the game, Aaron, was a fourth and four. From the Oklahoma State, 31. Fair, yeah. With See? six and a half minutes left in the game, fourth and four from the Oklahoma State, 31, and OU goes for it, and Rattler completes a pass to Theo Weiss for 31 yards and a touchdown. Up 34 to 13. Yes. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt scores. that it, you know, if, yeah. if it were reversed, so what Lincoln Riley is doing. There you go. Look,
1: and, look, and, he, and it goes for, I think it goes for every level of football. In the NFL, Andy Reid has become way more aggressive He's going for it on fourth down all the time. They win. How many games do they win because they get a fourth and fifty, a fourth and ten, or score a touchdown on fourth down? Like, yeah. there's just too many analytics to. Are you against punting and being, uh, being timid and being conservative? Like, it's just. You Especially when times, you're losing man. anyway.
0: Like, like you're losing anyway.
1: Right. What
0: do you have to lose? Like who knows?
1: They probably weren't going to win, but who knows? Maybe they get that fourth down. They score a touchdown two plays later. Force a turnover on the next drive, and the next thing you know, it's a one-score game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think that would have happened, but yes, your your point is valid. Like you, your job is to give your team the best chance to win, and I think giving the ball away there was basically waving the white flag and saying, you know, we're done. Right. You're playing a you're
1: playing a freshman quarterback who's only started what this is eighth game that he started. Like it's not inconceivable to in a coach's mind be like hey it's a freshman quarterback maybe we can make a play on him maybe we can get him to make a mistake but Gundy was just like nah
0: yeah yeah crazy not even gonna yeah hey let's talk about the the college football playoff rankings and and before we get to like the BYU stuff and and the rest of the country I want to get your take on Oklahoma because you, you made a statement that I brought up yesterday and I think it's really interesting in terms of Oklahoma and you know potentially how things could go now I'm not under the illusion that Oklahoma is in a good position and can just, you know, win out and, and potentially land a spot. They would need a lot of help, like a lot of help. But in terms of evaluating Oklahoma at number 11, they're ahead of Iowa State, a team that they have the same record as and lost to. Miami obviously is, is not in the equation, I think, when it's all said and done. Georgia's is not in the equation when it's all said and done. I think Cincinnati would probably need to lose a game um, somewhere along the way to to kind of get out of the way. Again, th- there would there would need to be a lot of help. But Oklahoma, if they run the table, we know that there's value in winning a conference championship, and that might alone leapfrog you over some of these teams if everybody wins out. But you will be talking about an Oklahoma team that, from a narrative standpoint, is better defensively than any of these teams that has fallen short in the playoffs right like that's that's always the argument is Oklahoma's elite offensively but just a complete dumpster fire defensively well for the first time the committee might be asking the question is is does Oklahoma actually have a defense but the other things that I think are really significant in this discussion are the fact that Ronnie Perkins and and Stevenson weren't available for the two losses you said if those guys are available it's hard to imagine Oklahoma loses to Iowa State and Kansas State and I, I completely agree with you I wonder how much they take that into account when it's all said and done. If you're looking at Oklahoma's body of work, and again, assuming Oklahoma wins out, they're a conference champion. At that point, I think the math is they would have won eight games in a row. You're winning down the stretch, adding your two best players back to the mix. And the other part of that is also your quarterback in those two losses was making his first and second ever start against FBS opponents in his college career. So like Spencer Sanders is clearly a completely different guy today than he was against Kansas state and Iowa state. And then you didn't have your best two players. I just wonder how much if Oklahoma were to find themselves in a position where we're talking about Oklahoma versus maybe somebody else, how much the committee weighs all of that information.
1: So I I think the tough situation right now is the fact that Notre Dame and Clemson are two and three. So if they both went out and then Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC Championship game, I think it's going to be tough to keep Notre Dame out even with them losing the ACC Championship game because in a regular year if Notre Dame had one loss as an independent, would they get in probably, especially the way the landscape's playing out this year as many um my, I guess I shouldn't even say, especially the way this year is playing out because I've, it's never happened before, so there's no metric to go off of. But I think that would I think that would muddy up the waters a little bit. I think you're looking at a situation, like you said, where one of those SEC teams is getting in, whether it's Alabama, a or
0: Florida, probably going to be Alabama. They're probably going to win out. Well, if Alabama runs the table, that means Florida's eliminated because Florida will have lost right. in the SEC championship well, game, and it's their second loss. Right. I don't think there's any question that – they would even be considered a and m would be the interesting party because if they went out they're a one loss sec team that only loss was to alabama right yeah and i i think that
1: again this makes it so complicated because i think that this year you ha- like winning a conference championship has to be of the utmost importance to getting in because you only played conference games this year yeah other than you know oh, you played that one random missouri was a missouri state missouri or whatever yeah. Missouri, whatever the South- yeah whatever they played but for the most part every team in the country country has only played conference games
0: the problem is the one week that the big 12 played outside of the big 12 half the conference lost to group of five teams that's that is a problem yeah that definitely does not help the conference that's a big problem i I can't see cincinnati getting in um if they're undefeated again i you know one of the top four would have to go like let, let, for for the sake of this argument let's just say that notre dame beats clemson a second time clemson's a two loss team both losses to notre dame and they're not a conference champ i think that probably takes them out of the equation
1: yeah yeah i, I would say that def- clemson can't get in with two losses especially to the both of them being to the same team that's in the college football playoff right. i would agree with that um I I, re- yeah. I really just think that this if th- they need to expand the playoffs this year because I'm just I'm looking at these teams and I think there is an easy I, I wouldn't say easy path like you said but I, there's a path to get OU in with two there is losses a path. yeah I agree but I mean I'd give me an eight and two Oklahoma team over a ten and oh Cincinnati team or nine and oh Cincinnati team how many of teams they uh, games are going to play this year but an undefeated Cincinnati team i i think i kind of have a problem with ohio state getting in at six and oh just for the fact that they would have only played six games they're they're playing six right they're playing yeah seven. they're
0: playing six and then they'll have their big ten championship game right so it so theoretically they'll be seven and oh if they get in
1: no actually they're they're playing eight they've okay three, they, they're four and no oh right now yeah they've got uh illinois michigan state michigan okay West so eight, i mean eight knows not not terrible it's different. Yeah. Yeah, that's different than six and zero oh, because,
0: oh, man. But let's say they trip up. Like if, st- if, if they lose, they're out. Does I, seven I, and one Big Ten champion Ohio State do anything for you? No, not really. The way the Big Ten's played so far, absolutely not. Like, let's I mean, say. Who, it, it, Let's say one loss Northwestern or- wins it. Does one loss Northwestern, as a conference champ, get in over two loss Oklahoma as a as a champ?
1: God, I would hope not. I really would hope that I'm not having to watch Northwestern play Alabama and lose by 70. Oklahoma might lose by 50, but I mean they've got at least a bigger fighting chance than Northwestern would in the playoffs. And that, you know, it, but if Northwestern wins a Big Ten, I mean, we can't. I, I can't really you know discriminate if they win the conference, I mean, if they win a power five conference, it should weigh the same as Ohio state winning the conference. Just as a viewer, it's just not going to be as exciting. Yeah. It's going to be complicated, but like, I don't think I, I don't feel, uh, I don't envy the, uh, college football playoff committee this year. This not is a uh, pain in the ass. He's to try and decide who
0: gets in. Not at all. I mean, I just, I, I don't know how, like, I think they said this last night. Like, there's an extra emphasis this year on just having to make calls based on what you're watching. Like, you have to watch the film, you have to watch them play, and you have to just give your, your you know, most educated guess about how good every team is based on just the film that you're watching. And I think, you, you know, a lot of the a lot of the other stuff that we use in most years as tools to, you know, help us – kind of make these decisions which is record or strength of schedule or non conference or you know head to head type situations i mean a lot of that again be- because this is such a, a you know an apples to oranges comparison for almost every team when you like when you start comparing ohio state to clemson like how do you even do that clemson's what 7 and 1 ohio state's 4 and 0 like how do you even like debate who's the better team? Like, the only way you can do it is watch them both play football and say, at their best, who do you think is the better team? Like, that's the only way you can do it because seven and one, one team's played twice as many games. One team's played a premier opponent without their starting quarterback and took them to the wire. Like, the other team is good, and I like Ohio State, but, uh, you know, we just watched them struggle with an Indiana team. Like, I don't know how good anybody thinks Indiana is, but... I'm not wowed by them by any means. So I I don't know. Like, 7-1 versus 4-0 is a a great example of, like, I don't even know how you make an argument for either one of those teams outside of, like, just watching the film and saying, I think this team looks like they're the better team.
1: I I think at least with Clemson, we've seen them play Notre Dame. We've seen them play a top-five team. So we've seen them play good competition. Like you said, Indiana. We've seen Ohio State play Indiana, who... They're, I mean, they seem like a fine team. Penn state seems okay, but we don't really know. Penn state stinks. But The big, the big 10 is not great. I mean, they're not great and they haven't played very few, many games. Wisconsin just lost to Northwestern. I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily buying it a Northwestern being an eight, no team or uh, yeah, I guess eight. No, if they went out, but like yeah. a top 10 team so far, Northwestern has beaten Maryland, Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue and Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. Right. Purdue's two and And two. I, you know, Purdue has Purdue's. I I thought they were going to be okay. They're two and two. I thought Minnesota was going to be interesting. They're two and three. Uh, Michigan is god awful. They're two and three, and they're only two and three because they beat Rutgers. Uh, What was this? Triple overtime? Was it triple overtime that they beat Rutgers this weekend?
1: Rutgers uh, had a chance to kick a field
0: goal in overtime to win the game, and that would have put Michigan at one and four with a loss to Rutgers. Penn State's 0-5. Look, they are 0-5. Not bless. I didn't realize they were... They hadn't won a yeah, game. Yeah, that conference stinks.
1: It's going to play... Look, it's going to work itself out exactly how you would anticipate it. Ohio State is going to beat Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game, probably. Yeah. And Ohio State's going to be 8-0, and they're going to get in. And rightfully so. If they're 8-0, like, I mean, it, it does. It changes things from being 6-0 to 8-0 is a big difference this season. You've got Justin Fields. Like, Ohio State gets in. Yeah, So. There's three. We got Alabama or Florida, Notre Dame or Clemson. It may be I, both. I, if
0: Alabama were to run the table and then lose to Florida, I think that's where you could definitely see two SEC teams get it. Florida as a hey, one-loss conference champ, and then Alabama maybe getting the the at-large. Just you know, one loss. We, I think they would probably get Alabama, a, a second chance. We've seen Alabama get in with one loss and not
1: lose and not winning the sec before this year. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, you, you talked about, you know, kind of basing it off of what you see on tape right now. And that not really being the biggest metric to go off of Kirk Herbstreit's definitely making the argument. He said that, uh, this OU team right now is playing better than any OU team did under Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, or last year with Jalen hurts and I mean, obviously a big part of that is the defense the defense has been legitimately good yeah. for the past month so
0: yeah they're not even close to yeah. as good offensively but I mean it's it's you know uh balanced football I mean yeah yeah man it's
1: it's gonna be tough for you to get in you're gonna de- but every year. how many times have we said this we had this like yeah. last three, three years right it's gonna be about November twentieth, twenty fifth between Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving and week. Like, right? man, you know it's gonna be tough for OU to get in, but like, there's a path there. Yeah. And then all the teams they need to lose, lose in conversation. it, it all, yeah, week it the all week just before. starts one
0: by one, happening, and and you just start seeing that path cleared to a degree. And like I said, I just my my question here, I'm I'm not saying that Oklahoma gets in or that they even get that opportunity to be in the discussion, but if if when it's all said and done some of these scenarios that we're talking about are right in front of the committee and you're having to make a decision i just wonder to what degree they weigh oklahoma going on an 8 game win streak oklahoma getting their best two players back and being undefeated basically with their best two players considering those guys weren't available for those first two games also considering freshman quarterback making his first two fbs starts in those losses like we've seen them was it was it the clemson team with kelly bryant where kelly bryant got hurt and didn't play and then they lost so i think syracuse and the committee basically just said like we're giving them a mulligan they were without their starting quarterback
1: yeah i think so like it didn't even yeah. impact yeah, them yeah, in the ranking bryant, i think yeah. the next
0: week or something like that but
1: yeah who came in i'm trying to remember who was the backup it wasn't trevor lawrence yet was it I don't. I. I he, can't uh, even tell you. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I think there's an argument there to be made for that. Let me. Let me ask you this. What about an Oregon team? What if they go undefeated and win the Pac-12?
0: Oh, I, I. I think the committee basically told us last night with their ranking of the Pac-12 teams that. <laughs> they, they don't matter. There's just no chance.
1: <laughs> I mean, rightfully so. The conference we talked about the Big Ten being terrible. Pac-12 is immensely worse Pac-12 Oregon's remaining schedule at Oregon State at Cal at Washington Pac-12 championship game probably against USC or Colorado
0: so they would be 7-0 and at best without a single win over I mean what we would call a qual- quality opponent right like I've watched USC play twice I, I USC is not very good like give them credit for winning yeah, they're, they're what aren't they 3-0 and yeah, they're 3-0. Yeah. Give them credit for winning. Like I'm not I'm not discounting the fact that they didn't win games, but that's not a good football team. If Oregon's best win is over USC, like what is that? I mean, unless you're just blowing them out, like it's hard to really gauge how good you are. I mean, this is why BYU got set all the way down at 14 last night. They've played nobody. Like that was my expectation. There was I never thought BYU was was even going to get close to the benefit of the doubt last night. Like, they were so surprised. Yeah, you know, I think BYU is actually good. Like, if if BYU played Cincinnati this weekend, I think I'd pick BYU to win the game. But they've... I, it just... I didn't think for a second they were going to get the benefit of that doubt. And then you add the whole, like, Washington thing into it earlier this week. Did you hear about that? Yes, I was about to say. BYU doesn't deserve to be anywhere. They, You know what? Put BYU at five
1: in the college football playoff rankings and tell them they can't go for tweeting out that the, the tweeted the thing out where they said anytime, anywhere, any place. And then
0: Washington's like, Hey, you want to play? And they're like, no, no I would. Yeah. I would really like to know what the reasoning was. Cause I said this yesterday on the pod, if you are BYU, you have to somewhere along the way, just show that you can match up with big boys. Cause you're, cause again, you're just not going to get that benefit of the doubt if you don't. And, and even if it's out of their control, which I think, uh, Oh, what's the BYU's coach name? I'm I'm drawing a blank.
1: Anyway, last night he said... Mike Gundy. Based on on him being Tim and conservative, it's
0: got to be Mike Gundy, right? He he said last night in the playoff show, uh, like they had him on live, did an interview, he said that they wanted to play that game, that they had practiced on Monday to play that game, and for reasons outside of the football program's control, it couldn't happen. So I don't know what the situation was. I still don't know, but I said this yesterday. Regardless, it's a bad look. When everybody is questioning how good you are against top-level competition, and then you get the invite to play a team that's better competition, and you say no, like that, I, I knew yesterday. I said it yesterday. They're they're not gonna get a good ranking Sim, if for no other reason based on that. Like it's this is a sport that's based completely about perception.
1: Yeah. Which is, yeah, I mean, but they're ahead of Oregon, so that especially shows you. Yeah. The. Uh, perspective that the committee has on the Pac-12 I would actually like to see that game BYU BYU, Oregon I think would be interesting they should do it like yeah I don't like you said I mean who knows why the BYU game didn't happen but
0: I mean you can't get in even if it's just a Washington team yeah you know go beat a Washington team and you get a massive jump in the ranking I guarantee you like, again, because it's perception. It's it's just the people that are making those decisions, seeing with their own eyes on a football field that physically you can match up with a Power 5 opponent. I God. would like to see... There, I mean, there's some talk that maybe Cincinnati and BYU could schedule something in December. That would be pretty cool. Although, again, I don't know... I don't know if either one of those teams really gets the benefit of the doubt for winning that game because there's questions about both, so matching two teams that are questionable up against each other like I don't I, unless one of them just completely dominates, I don't know that that really satisfies any questions as to whether they could play with Alabama or Clemson or Notre Dame,
1: yeah. I mean that would be like a, 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 in you know in a fantasy world that would be a fun playing game so to speak yeah but yeah i i just i just don't think there's any way that you can make an argument for putting a non-power five team in this year
0: it's tough man just it's, with, it's I, really
1: mean, tough i mean because in a normal year like a, a central florida beating a I don't know throw out a random power five team, a Miami or a USC or something like those teams, those AAC teams, those Conference USC teams yeah. having that non-conference win like a Houston win over an Oklahoma, something like that like that could carry them so far throughout the season and they just I mean they don't have that marquee win unless you know BYU did beat Boise State
0: so I mean come on let's <laughs> give them some love. Boise Struggling and I think they said last I didn't see that game, but I think they said last night and I'll tell you Why I didn't watch that game because it was at Boise and I'm not watching that stupid Blue field <laughs> like it just it, it gives me a headache. I hate it, it It's probably an unpopular opinion because I think like people I don't even know if it's unpopular I think people like to pretend that they think it's cool Like I don't know. I don't know if I've ever met somebody that actually thinks the blue field at Boise is cool but I feel like people just, because it's like unique and different, I feel like people kind of pretend that it's cool or like pretend to think it's like a big deal. It sucks though. It's it's not good. I'm pretty indifferent about it. Only in the fact that Eastern
1: Washington's field is a thousand times worse to watch on TV. The, is that the red one? Yeah. Yeah. The blue, well, I, can, I can deal with. Yeah,
0: the red and the blue, they both yeah, suck. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, they're not good. Um, But yeah, uh, that's... I didn't watch that game simply because it was at Boise, and I was like, nope, not watching the blue field. But I did hear them say last night that I guess Boise, not only are they not great this year, but they were missing, I guess, a bunch of players due to COVID that week, a bunch of, like, key players. So there's another reason why BYU is not getting credit for a win.
1: Yeah, it's, man, I, I've just been staring at this this college football ranking because I, I hadn't looked at it, full full behind the curtain on Aaron's life. Uh, I hadn't looked at the ranking until this morning, and it watched the show last night. But it's tough. Like I just, it, it's just so top heavy with the SEC and ACC. Yeah. That I just that one that tells me that there's a definite path for OU to get in. But yeah, it also just to me tells me that if a couple of those undefeated teams lose in their conference championship games that let me ask you this would you put would you do alabama florida assuming that florida beats alabama in the sec championship game and then assuming clemson beats notre dame in the acc championship game and ohio state loses to whoever michigan or whatever doesn't matter would you put two sec teams and the two acc teams in
0: if Ohio State loses a game but wins the Big Ten and then Florida beats yeah, Alabama and to, like, Clemson gets revenge Ohio, on Notre Dame. Yes. Ohio
1: State loses to like, Michigan in pretty convincing fashion and then Alabama loses Yeah, Alabama yeah in a, in a Yeah, without question.
0: And my ranking, so, like, I, I think, think at that point would best. be Clemson 1, Notre Dame 2, probably Florida 3, and Alabama 4. no 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 flip Alabama and Florida even though they would have just played head-to-head if we're talking about supposed to do like the best team I would go yeah I'd go Clemson 1 Notre Dame 2 Alabama 3 and Florida 4 in that scenario if it played out that way
1: I think that scenario is plausible other than the fact that Jim Harbaugh would never beat Ohio State right (laughs)
0: Although look, they, I mean this might be the year, right? They're 2 and 3. They nearly lost to Rutgers last week. Like if they were ever going to catch Ohio State off guard, maybe this is the year.
1: I was talking to my dad uh the other day. We were talking about the Texans and uh he said he wanted them to hire Jim Harbaugh and I almost deleted his oh. contact from my phone. I was like, "Why?"
0: He's like he went to a Super Bowl. It's like that was a decade ago. Yeah. He, I I don't feel like he was crazy at, or at least you can give the perception as being as crazy as he is now at that point either. Oh, he's lost his mind. Like yet yeah, somewhere along the way, like he fell down and knocked a screw loose in his head and he's just a really strange cat.
1: Yeah. He's uh God, I would be I would I might have to throw all my text and stuff away if they hired Jim Harbaugh.
0: Oh I can't imagine brutal bill o'brien to jim harbaugh would you rather keep your boy romeo than jim harbaugh yeah yeah
1: because at least i know Romeo's only going to be there for like a year and a half
0: fair fair by the way what is georgia try- doing at number nine it's name so bad that's a I, terrible ranking
1: that that just tells me that they don't really uh they don't really know what to do with Half of these teams, yeah. Although,
0: uh, what was it? the kid that came in at quarterback? He was pretty damn good. JT last Daniels, league. the USC uh, transfer. JT Daniels, yeah. Well, he's he's okay. He's way better than the other kid that they were playing. Which I, you know, I, I was saying at the Man. beginning of the season, I thought Georgia was one of the best four or five teams in the country. Defensively, they have dudes all over the place, and they looked really good defensively early in the season. But the they were just getting no help from the offense. That that whoever I, Stetson something it? Uh, yes, 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 yes. So is- he was so terrible, like just not yeah. good whatsoever, that I was like, there's no way you can consider them a top five team. They're horrible offensively because of the most important position on the field. And then all of a sudden, Alabama torches them, Florida torches them. Like the defense starts taking massive steps in the wrong direction, and you don't have a quarterback. Like you can't call them a top 10 team. Yeah, they don't. They really, they're they talented. Have, yeah, they're... They've got a bunch of dudes. they got a bunch of NFL dudes. But when your defense isn't nearly as good as it's supposed to be, and your quarterback stinks, like, you can't take advantage of your talent. So it's kind of irrelevant. Oklahoma, like, here's the thing, though. Oklahoma's at 11. If Oklahoma wins out, they're clearly going to be ahead of Miami. They're clearly going to be ahead of Georgia. Like, there are, there's, you know, some people were upset that Georgia was ahead of Oklahoma last night. you know it is what it is right now like even even though I completely agree Georgia has no business being nine Georgia's not going to remain above a team like Oklahoma when the Sooners went out and potentially are a conference champion that's that's not gonna happen so
1: yeah I mean I mean, I think a lot of the country this past week saw that OU's defense is legitimately good
0: yeah, the front four is really good. I, I would say this though, yep. like, the other part of that argument is when you look at at their last four games, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. I I do believe that the defensive line is tremendous. I think they're one of the they're not only the best I think in this conference as far as just the defensive line, but I think you have to start having a conversation about how good they are compared to other defensive lines in the country the problem is the last four weeks TCU Texas Tech Kansas and Oklahoma State all have bad offensive lines so that 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 will be held against them again I still think they're good like I still think they are physical I still think they're fast I think individually each one of those guys is a problem and so you can't just scheme around one dude but that will be held against them in terms of I think evaluating how good their defensive line is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it should. It should factor into I mean, it's not like they were beating Oklahoma State. was good the first half of the season, but it's not like they were beating, you know, world beaters are, you know, solid great teams by any means, but Hell, I mean, we've seen we've seen them get in in the lesser Big 12s before. I think the Big Twelve is probably a little bit more balanced than it has been in the last few years.
0: Yeah, have you heard the scenario where Oklahoma gets left out of the Big Twelve championship, even if they went out?
1: No, I, I don't. I'm looking at the standings. I don't have the, I don't understand how that would play out.
0: So, the way that I read the the tiebreaker is in a three-way tie, the tiebreaker that would be in play between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State would be your record against the next best team in the conference. So if it were to play out where Oklahoma State wins out, Oklahoma wins out, Texas beats Iowa State on Friday, and then Kansas State beats Texas... You would get a three-way tie between the Cyclones, the Cowboys, and the Sooners at the top, and Kansas State would be the fourth team. And because Oklahoma lost to Kansas State and the other two beat Kansas State, it would be an Iowa State-Oklahoma State matchup. How crazy is that? I feel like
1: uh, blowing. scene from... I feel like my, my right my brain is like the scene from The Hangover when Alan starts counting cards and they've just got all the numbers <laughs> and math floating around his head. I don't like... Yeah. That was a mind-boggling scenario. Yeah.
0: So in that scenario, Texas is just thrown to the curb? Well, they would have experienced a third loss to Kansas State at the end.
1: Okay, that's what it yeah. was. That was the difference. Okay, yeah. I was trying to figure out where Texas falls out. Yeah. So it, w- it would be Iowa State, Oklahoma
0: State... Yes, if Oklahoma wins out, Oklahoma State wins out, Texas beats Iowa State, and then Kansas State beats Texas, then you would have a three-way tie between Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma at the top, and the fourth team in the ranking would be Kansas State, and the tiebreaker would be your game against Kansas State, and the only one of the three that would have lost to Kansas State would be Oklahoma.
1: Man, I want to say that that's not plausible, but like I I mean it's conceivable. Like Oklahoma State doesn't have a tough schedule remaining. You would hope that they're going to rebound from Bedlam. Texas could absolutely be at Iowa State this weekend. Oklahoma definitely can win out. Yeah. That
0: oh my god. That would be like Texas is both capable of beating Iowa State and losing to Kansas State. Okay, so in that
1: scenario, does the College Football Playoff Committee punish Oklahoma for not winning the conference? Yes, that's because they're a
0: two-loss team out of a out of a conference that's not viewed very highly. Well, right, anyway, but
1: wouldn't you? Uh, wouldn't you uh, wouldn't you figure or give them the
0: benefit of the doubt that they are the best team in the conference well yeah probably but they're not the conference champion and that's kind of the thing that has played into their favor it's always propelled them yeah it's always propelled them at the end is it's been close between them and other teams but they've been a conference champion and that's kind of helped put them over the top
1: Man, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma needs to pray that Iowa State beats Texas this yeah. weekend.
0: That would be that would be crazy. So Big Twelve yeah.
1: needs to get it figured out, man.
0: Yeah, I had a guy yesterday, to, or maybe it was a couple days ago, he he asked me this week to put together like all of the Big Twelve scenarios for like how the Big Twelve championship game could play out. And I was like, dude, we're gonna have to wait another week for that because there are still so many different paths like it it would be confusing to listen to honestly like if we were to do that now i think it would be like you would just be confused hearing me give out all these different scenarios so i was like give me let's let's like wait a week let things maybe after next week there's a little more clarity on the on on the paths and it it reduces a little bit in terms of what could happen but yeah crazy
1: i mean realistically the only teams that are for sure out of the big 12 championship game are tcu tech baylor and kansas everybody else could still find their way into the game
0: i i think kansas state is out but they're in play in terms of like what their role is in deciding this thing got you because i think they already have three losses they do yeah same thing for west virginia but they could play a role in like how how things shake out.
1: At least it'll be interesting. At yeah. least you know what? At least the Big Twelve's gonna be fun this year, and we're not just looking at Oklahoma rolling through everybody.
0: There you go.
1: Going to the Big Twelve championship game, and then just trying to figure out who the two seed is gonna be. Like it's both yeah. teams are in play. Like it's the whole matchup still in play.
0: Yeah. All right. Before I let you run, a couple Thanksgiving questions. Uh, question one. Turkey or ham? I'm a ham guy. Okay. Question two, dressing or stuffing? Or I guess option C, you basically think they're the same thing? Uh, stuffing. Okay. Uh, I'm a dressing guy. But I, I get the stuffing thing. Um, I, I'm not opposed to stuffing. I just prefer dressing. Um, okay. So this was brought up yesterday. If you're having a Thanksgiving sides draft should gravy be a draftable item or my point was because you don't eat it by itself it's not a draftable item it's it's an automatic like community thing on the table that everybody gets to use regardless of whether you spend a pick on it or not so should you have to use a draft pick on gravy if you're making a thanksgiving draft
1: well, I, I guess we do Thanksgivings different because at my family, uh, we drink the gravy out of like little like teacups. Yes. take a take a bite of some turkey, swish it around, and then it's like a fine wine, but it's gravy. just kind of kind of let it sit in your Gravy mouth a train. Bit. Uh, no, great. Gravy is not a side. that is a dressing
0: It's a sauce. It's ranch dressing a side. It's a sauce. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree. You pour. I mean yeah, to take that a step further, I, cr- I think cranberries are a sauce. Okay, let me ask. Let me ask you this. Let me—I got one for you. Okay. My
1: family's very big on cranberry sauce, but canned cranberry sauce—the
0: stuff that like you pour, you put in the bowl, and it still has the mold of the can. Yeah, yeah. It just
1: looks like a, yeah. a, gl, a gl, uh, gelatin can.
0: Yeah. I prefer are, the that or fresh. I prefer fresh, but. Here's the thing. I don't eat either by them by itself anyway. I, I use cranberry a lot like gravy. Like, it's going to be mashed into another side or eaten with, like, it's going to be put on the roll with a little, like, turkey and gravy or something like that. Like, it's, cranberry for me is never eaten solo. It's always mixed in or mashed on that. something i've
1: never <laughs> i've never eaten the cranberry sauce at my family's thanksgiving i just don't uh, not my thing yeah um i got another one for you okay do you try to get every item on one plate on your first plate or do you do multiple plates with different uh different options
0: so it, it ends up being both but I do attempt to get everything I want on one plate out of the gate and every year I fail at doing that and inevitably I always have to go back and get more but I always attempt to get it all on one plate the first time around
1: same I usually do it I'll start with a ham plate and then I'll do yeah. a turkey plate and just kind of like there's there's consistence that are going to make both plates like mashed potatoes is going to make both plates yes yes but as far as like the casseroles and all those other stuff like I'll just, I'll pick one on one plate and I'll I'll switch it up on the next plate.
0: Yeah. I go, so I start with the ham on the plate. I put, you know, a few slices of ham and then I piled the dark meat turkey on top of the ham so that, like, my meat is still only taking up one space. But because the ham is flat slices, like, you can pile turkey on top of it and it makes it very efficient. So then I go with the dressing and the mashed potatoes. And at that point... I pour gravy over the turkey, mashed potatoes, and dressing collectively. And so then with my remaining spots, I try to do some broccoli rice casserole, some green bean casserole, and then I put like a roll in the middle and stack some deviled eggs on top of the roll. And then I just smother some cranberry sauce on top of what, wherever there's a free space. And I think for the most part that, that covers the attempt at the first plate
1: okay so we're clearly at the large metropolitan section of building a dinner plate where you it's time to build up we got to build up (laughs) we've we've built out all we can we got to build up for space
0: yeah yeah the turkey is built Uh, on top of the ham uh the, the deviled eggs are built on top of the roll the cranberry sauce is also put on top of another item yeah uh gravy with giblet or without giblet I'm good either way. Same. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, it's like, I just, Thanksgiving gravy goes basically on everything. Like, I like everything in gravy. And I had somebody tell me yesterday, like, if you're using gravy on all your food, your food's not good. No, dude. Gravy's just good. Like, I have good food, but gravy is also good. Who doesn't like gravy? Like, what the hell is that? Yeah. It's, a, it's an enhancer. Right. It's not even about. It's not even about the original food as much as it's just. I like the gravy. It's not like. Th- it's not like Thanksgiving.
1: Like turkey gravy is so overpowering of a taste that you wouldn't be able to taste the other food.
0: Right. Yeah. Come on. I'm not, not masking not any, either. I, yeah, I'm not masking any of the original food tastes. It's just like adding the gravy on top. Gravy's it's not like delicious. Like ketchup
1: on a steak. Oh
0: brutal brutal yeah so what is your do you guys eat at the same time every year or is it just kind of like whenever things are ready that's when you pull the trigger
1: I think the intentions are to eat at the same time but it usually just ends up being when everything's done it's like it it's usually between like I want to say like one and four it just kind of depends if we've got some stragglers that are showing up late okay and all that yeah. stuff uh it's usually tradition that at some point well not not it, yeah it, it's tradition that every year somebody puts the rolls in the oven to like brown them a little and they end up coming out black and just completely burnt they get forgotten yes i think that's probably
0: 80 yes. percent of thanksgivings across the country
1: so okay well that makes me feel a little better that we're not just uh, negligent to our rolls which rolls are a vital piece to a thanksgiving dinner you need something to get that final soak in
0: yeah what are you supposed to do with all gravy. the gravy that's left on your plate after you've eaten all the food right yeah you gotta the, scoop it up with the, the, with the roll
1: right the rolls the 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 roll is the mariano rivera it's the closer of thanksgiving
0: yeah absolutely. bring it in wrap it up yeah. absolutely it, we always eat we do the late lunch as well because that way you know like The Lions game is usually whatever. Like, it's the Lions. I know you have some interest because your Texans are playing the Lions this year, but, like, the Lions game is the game that you generally want to eat in, and then you're done, and you've changed into sweats, and you're in front of the television by the time the Cowboys kick off in the afternoon, and then you have enough time if you want to take a nap to take a nap, and then you you still are able to do the leftover dinner plate. I'm, I'm very anti, like, Thanksgiving dinner. Like waiting to put everything on the table and and do your gathering like in the evening. Like it needs to – I I think the late late lunch time slot is by far the best Thanksgiving time slot.
1: Thanksgiving is the best meal of the year, hands down. If you're going to make me wait until it's dark outside to eat it, I'm going to be pissed. And like you said, I need that second dinner plate, especially this year. I'm going to need a second dinner plate for Steelers Ravens.
0: If it happens, but yes. Yes, if they play. Isn't there, like, yeah. mass COVID test positives for uh, the Ravens? Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. they've got some... Uh, I haven't heard anything about it being delayed, but, yeah,
1: they've got some uh, some COVID issues. Yeah.
0: Also, I'm really excited for Friday because our, our, our schedule Friday in college football is Iowa State-Texas at 11 a.m. on Friday. 2.30, we have Notre Dame-North Carolina, two ranked teams. And then 6.30, Oregon-Oregon State. So we have three pretty decent football games on Friday. And there's nothing better than getting up on a Friday. You're not supposed to have college football. But all of a sudden, 11 a.m, there it is. You have college football on a Friday. You go to the fridge, you get out the leftover turkey, you grab a leftover roll, you cut the roll in half. you make a turkey sandwich on the leftover roll. If you want to use a little gravy, you do that. If you want to use some of the dressing to smear it on top, like you got to make some sort of leftover, turkey sandwich on friday afternoon to watch your college football game 100 percent. look
1: if thanksgiving isn't lasting you until at least saturday you didn't do thanksgiving right yeah
0: sunday for me like i i fully intend to eat the leftovers through the weekend
1: there you go see you got it on lockdown you know how to properly give thanks and that's by being being gluttonous until Sunday, yeah. which I am hundred percent gonna do.
0: And then by next Monday, I never want to see turkey or ham or dressing or any of that stuff ever again.
1: Do uh real quick, uh do you guys is so at Christmas do you guys do the Tip, like basically Thanksgiving meal as well or you mix it up
0: we used to for a long time we did that and in Reese probably in the last five years it's switched to like either prime rib or steaks or ooh, something like ooh. that yeah we
1: that sounds pretty amazing And
0: especially with my dad he hates turkey anyway so I mean I I, I told the story yesterday a couple years ago for Thanksgiving, even, he was just like, I'm not doing turkey this year. And he just did ribeyes for everybody, like grilled ribeyes for everybody in the family, which was cool, but like, pretty awesome. yeah, yeah, like that's my favorite food on earth. But I do like the tradition of, of the Thanksgiving meal. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't do, we, use, we did the Thanksgiving meal for Christmas for a long time, but that's kind of been phased out over the last like five years. Yeah. My, uh,
1: my mom my dad's family they do they basically just do thanksgiving 2.0 and then right. my mom's side of the family they usually mix it up sometimes i think they've did like they've done ribs before yeah. uh tamales brisket. and enchilada like yeah just yeah brisket yeah it just kind of changes year to year
0: yeah i think uh i think even one year we just did pizzas i'm
1: not i'm not gonna complain it, about yeah. pizza
0: yeah again it was a nice change of pace but i don't, I don't want just just want, just want pizza for christmas every year right but yeah the steak like prime rib thing is is uh, right in my wheelhouse
1: yeah it's pretty solid I, I'm i gonna throw that out in the ether for my Christmas this year
0: yeah just, do some, just start dropping the hints now just be like do it on like Saturday or Sunday though because by that point they will have also eaten all that food for like three consecutive days and prime rib is gonna sound really good in comparison to turkey on Saturday and Sunday
1: right yeah Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do that because, yeah, yeah we yeah, usually don't throw do it out like today. Like, Wait till the weekend. weekend. Yeah.
0: yeah. Till everybody's sick and tired of turkey and ham.
1: Oh, man. You guys want to just do steaks today instead of the <laughs> leftovers? Yeah, I think we. Yeah, that's
0: a good idea. We should do that for Christmas. I oh, yeah.
1: just totally thought about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Good call. Good throw call. That out there. All right, my man. I appreciate it. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Give your family all my best. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right.
1: You too. I'm hoping for the for the football team for you. I'm praying for them.
0: Go Washington. (laughs) See ya. Aaron Davis joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. Once again, big thanks to Aaron Davis. This episode is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products on their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Great people, local ownership, doing great things for the community around them. And again, they're more than happy to help you answer your questions and, and help educate you on what they have available and how you may benefit from it. So again, check out the website. You can order online, safe pickup. It's really cool, A abotanicalcompany.com, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, if you want to hit me up, uh, feel free to do so at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, colby.Daniels on Instagram. Everybody have a great day. Uh, no show tomorrow, taking Thanksgiving off, but we'll be back on Friday. Obviously, a big Day of college football on Friday, Iowa State, Texas at 11 a.m., Notre Dame, UNC at 2.30, Oregon, Oregon State at 6.30, so Friday's going to be big time, not to mention we have the start of the college basketball season today, Uh, Oklahoma State at 3 o'clock against UT Arlington, and then the Sooners at 7 o'clock against UTSA, so hoops today, full day of NFL football on Thursday, college football Friday and Saturday, and then back to the NFL on Sunday. It's a big stretch a big sports stretch here over the next five days and everybody's gonna have a big meal and lots of leftovers it's it's pretty much perfection uh, over the next few days so again i hope everybody has a happy thanksgiving everybody stay safe and i will talk to you on friday